Music with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast and our very first episode of 2020. Today, we will learn about using robots in improvisational music. Our interviewer Audra Nash spoke to Gil Weinberg, professor in Georgia Tech's School of Music and the founding director of the Georgia Tech Center for Music Technology. Weinberg leads a research lab called the Robotic Musicianship Group which focuses on developing artificial creativity and musical expression for robots and on augmented humans. He discusses several of his improvisational robots and how they work, including Shimon, a multi-armed robot marimba player, as well as his work in prosthetic devices for musicians. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Gil Weinberg. I'm a professor and the director of Center for Music Technology at Georgia Tech. Would you tell me about what motivates your work? We build robots, mm-hmm. robot musicians, and that means that there are musicians first. They have to understand music, they have to be creative in music, and we're interested in robots inspiring us, surprising us, pushing our musical experiences to uncharted domains. Mm-hmm. Now, would you tell me a bit about your background? Sure. So, I'm originally from Israel, where I did double major in both computer science and music. And then I moved to MIT Media Lab, which was one of the few places that allowed you to combine uh, multiple disciplines related to the art and media, in in my case music, uh, with technology, where I did my master's in media arts and sciences and my PhD in media arts and sciences. And then I moved to Georgia Tech, where I started uh, Georgia Tech Center for Music Technology. We started a program. First it was a master's program, and then PhD, and now we even offer an undergraduate in music technology. Mm -hmm. Now one thing you mentioned uh, in the plenary today that you gave was that your robot should listen like a human and play like a machine. Would you tell me what that means? Sure. So we are exploring creativity, and we try to create uh, agents that have artificial creativity. Uh, Not just artificial intelligence, but something that is creative. Now, what is creativity? Creativity is creating new artifacts or new ideas, but these ideas and artifacts have to be meaningful for humans. So in order for them to be, my robots, to be creating music that is meaningful for humans, I need them to listen like humans. I need them to understand music the same way that humans understand music. So elements like tension and release and beat and syncopation and timbre, they have to understand it the same way we do. So that's why we focus on listen like humans. But in order to be interesting and surprising and hopefully inspiring, they have to play like machines. They have to do things that humans don't do, because otherwise they would just play with humans. Humans are great. So our robots have two basic uh, directions in which we pursue playing like a machine. One is cognitive. In other words, they, based on software, they generate music that humans 
uh, are not likely to generate because they use genetic algorithm and fractals and Markov chains and all kind of computational and mathematical processes that humans either can't or are very unlikely to. And the second element uh, is hardware. They have mechanical abilities and physical abilities that humans don't have. Uh, for example, they can play 20 hertz. They can play uh, a drummer that can play 20 hits per second. That's faster than any humans. And a drummer can control two of those together and create polyrhythms and virtuosic um, music that humans are not uh, able to create. Also, for example, we have a marimba player, uh, a robot, that has eight arms. So it can create chords and all kind of uh, sonorities that are humanly impossible. So together, by listening like a human, they connect to us, by playing like a machine, they surprise us, and I hopefully can achieve what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to talk about kind of your career with robotics, but through the robot, some of the robots that you've worked to develop. Uh, would you first tell me a bit about the drummer yes. robot? Yes, uh, our first robot is called Hailey, H-A-I-L-E, and I started with it because it's simple to address one element of music, which in his case was only rhythm. Um, it can detect beat, it can detect whether what you play is stable or not stable, uh, it can detect uh, different rhythms, whether they're similar to each other and how much they're similar to each other. Mm-hmm. So that's a listen like a human aspect in his case. Mm-hmm. But then when it improvises, it's introduced all kind of stochastic elements and genetic algorithms that mm-hmm. will take the perceptual understanding and push it to new directions. So I can play with it, I can play with them. It will detect that it's 7-beat, it will detect the tempo, it will detect that it's stable or unstable. And then it will take it and mix it around and play something back at me that will hopefully will surprise me and inspire me. Uh, uh, and we're playing either back and forth, like call and response, and sometimes we play an accompaniment. So if I create some beat, it will detect the beat and give me some kind of uh, accompaniment for me to improvise and build up. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a bit about this genetic algorithm approach to generating music? Yes. So in our case, what we did is we offline created a population of rhythmic motifs and later also melodic motifs with other robots. But in this case, it was rhythmic motifs. Mm-hmm. And just like other elements of genetic algorithms, we take the population and we breed them and we create all kinds of mutations, just like in genes and crossbreeding between different motifs. And then we do a fitness function. Just mm-hmm. like in evolution, uh, you have to see if the new species, so to speak, uh, fits the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not, they will be, go extinct. If yes, they will uh, continue to develop to different directions. So in music, as uh, a fitness function is how similar, in our case, how similar it is to what the human is playing. So we choose the top 50 and we again breed and, and introduce uh, mutations and it continues to grow. And after maybe 40, 50 generations, we stop. So, and this happens in milliseconds, so it's immediate. I play something, the robots quickly evolve uh, its response and then play it back to me. It has enough of what I played because the fitness function was how similar it is to mine, so it will kind of uh, converge towards my music. Mm-hmm. But it will also have the original uh, musical genes, if, uh, you know, if, if, if we can call it this way. Yeah, uh, that of, of, of the population. So it's kind of similar, but yet different and interesting, and we can go back and forth like this, either uh, simultaneously or in sequence. And mm. 
when I played with it, I really felt different than when I played with humans. The kind of responses are usually surprising. Uh, well, if it's usually surprising, at some, some point it stopped being surprising, but uh, at least in the beginning it was surprising. It was a first step. Uh, and it led us to develop other robots later that has also pitch and harmony. Mm. What did this drummer robot look like? A little bit like an alien. Uh, it's um, about maybe four or five feet tall. It's kind of sitting, kneeling next to a powwow drum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use the powwow drum from uh, Native Americans. It's one of those drums, the big tall ones, right? That uh, you, has the skin on top or something? Yeah, or it, like... it does have a skin on top, but it's not so tall. It's actually pretty flat, but it's big. Oh, okay. uh, it's, it's about two meters uh, in, in diameter. And it's originally uh, was used in powwow ceremonies, Native Americans, where mm-hmm. multiple people were sitting around the drum and playing on the same drum. Uh, and that was a choice that I made because I wanted to have this kind of social interaction. I wanted both me and the robot to sit around the same instruments. There are not too many instruments that multiple players play the, the same instruments. Sometimes you see people playing piano with four hands, but usually an instrument is one person. This was a great instrument to start with because uh, robots and humans can sit around it and hopefully inspire each other. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And it let you focus on a few aspects of making music, rhythm and tone maybe. Was it these two? It was rhythm, timbre, and also pitch, because when when you play close to the center, it sounds low. When you play cl- close to the mm-hmm. rim, it sounds high. So me too, I played either this instrument or the buka play, uh, drum, which is a hand percussion drum. And if I play next to the rim, the robot knows it. If I play close to the center, it knows it. And then it can use this kind of uh, pitch and rhythm and timbre to mm-hmm. create something interesting. And then what was the next robot from here? So then we went into Shimon, which is a marimba playing robot. There are two main advancements and new areas that we explored with Shimon. One is it it plays pitch. It has a marimba, so it can play melodies and harmonies uh, in addition to rhythm. And what is a marimba? Marimba is similar to xylophone. It's a mallet-based instrument. Ah, so you hit a bunch of thin metal things and they make nice... Uh, wooden in the marimba oh. case. Vibraphone would be metal. Xylophone oh. would be metal. Uh, uh, marimba is other synthetic uh, kind of material, which actually we use mm-hmm. because we travel a lot and the wood uh, has all kind of issues with humidity. Oh. Uh, or wood. But it's a little bigger... Uh, well, it's bigger than a xylophone. It's uh, a little bigger than a vibraphone. Uh, it's one of the smallest instruments. And it allows... The, the reason we chose this one is because... It's a large instrument, so it's like six feet long. And when you hit, it's very visual. You hit, you, you, you take the arm, the robot takes its arm, and you can see it. As opposed to a piano where there are subtle uh, gestures and other instruments, flute. Here, here, the visual cues were very important. Uh, so one element was pitch mm-hmm. and, and harmony and melody, that's musically. But also we looked at gestures and we added a head to it. Mm-hmm. And the head doesn't generate music, it just generates ancillary gestures. Gestures that are related to the music, but not to generate it. So, for example, when you detect a beat, it will bob its head in the, in, in the same tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, when someone is playing around you something interesting or different than the rest or different than what they played before, mm-hmm. the robot would look at you. Uh, so, even though it doesn't make music, it's a very, really important um, aspect in order to create social interaction uh, that, that are gesture-based. Mm-hmm. You mean especially for playing with other musicians? Yes. All of our robots are designed to play with humans. I don't do robots that just play with robots or by themselves. It's all about human-robot interaction. It's all about 
how would the robot let me as a human play mm-hmm. differently, think about music differently and so on. Mm-hmm. And then how does this robot look? How does she look? Well, the, the, it has eight arms, it has basically, uh, sorry, eight strikers uh, that are um, spread uh, around four arms, so each arm has two strikers, one for the white keys, so to speak, and one for, uh, for the black keys, also accidentals. Um, and they move on a six-feet slider, left and right. There's a lot of path planning to allow them to play all kind of uh, sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the head is uh, circular. It's all metallic, shiny. Uh, it has a long neck, and uh, it has an eye with a camera inside that can also uh, blink and move, so we have one more degree of freedom in the eye. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Can you tell me about playing with this robot, playing music with this robot? It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, what kind of shows has it done? We start. We started with jazz. Uh, I'm a jazz pianist originally, and jazz is a lot about improvisation, and the robot is about improvisation. Mm-hmm. So we look at creativity, but mostly creativity in real time, which is improvisation. You can be creative uh, by writing a symphony, which is not in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the first focus was on jazz. Mm-hmm. So I can play something, it will understand what I play based on sometimes rules that we code into mm-hmm. the robot. So it understands the code, code progression, tension release, what kind of scales goes over what kind of codes. In some cases we use data, so we uh, analyze um, using other Markov chains or, or machine learning, deep learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we analyze data sets of great jazz masters, Monk, Coltrane, Miles Davis, mm-hmm. and then either with walls or with data or both the robot would listen to a motif that I play and will either continue it or respond to it or give some kind of an accompaniment to it mm-hmm. uh, but then we move to other genres we move from uh, jazz to reggae and hip hop and rock uh, we basically look at the kind of music that will allow some improvisation so in rock, we'll do some kind of bend, uh, jam bendy kind, kind of uh, interactions. Uh, in uh, We did a marimba, uh, African marimba groups where there's many interlocking motifs, so multiple marimbas playing together. Uh, of course, with highly we did drum circle, which also is a lot about improvisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we're moving a little bit more into composition, so doing some things mm-hmm. offline because we need a lot of data and some things cannot be done uh, in real time. Gotcha. Can you tell me a bit about the differences in how Shimon would play with rule-based improvisation versus data-driven? Uh, you have to listen to, to see, but when, when he plays by rules, it, it was interesting and I enjoyed it, but it has, I believe, a little bit less of a character because if you just follow the rules... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, you might not create these uh, moments of uh, inspiration of going and breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can code some rules on when to break the rules, and, 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 and we did that as well. Yes. But when we moved to data, then we captured most, more of the ingenuity and, and the creativity of the great jazz masters. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a little more interesting, especially when we went to explore deep learning and long short-term uh, network mm-hmm. where we capture not just uh, local correlations one not at, at the other so for example if you use Markov chains mm-hmm. which is a, a well, well-known techniques to, to capture correlations between sequences of, of data mm-hmm. uh, if for example Monk after playing C his 
20% likely to play D and 40% likely to play other notes and so on, both with them, then the robot knows that. And when it plays C, it will be 40% likely to play whatever Mock is playing. But it only captures note-to-note correlations. In order to really capture motifs and longer structures, uh, we move to uh, deep learning and uh, LSTMs. Uh, which is long short-term memory? Long short-term memory. So, so we can actually capture so, longer uh, correlations and mm-hmm. create a more musical uh, and more narrative uh, embedded in the music. Mm-hmm. And that's um, like an architecture and neural networks that allows for remembering in future, when you keep putting future input. Yeah. How did this, how did this feel to you as a musician when you would play with this robot now that it's doing these different ways of generating? Well, it's nice. It's, it's, it's getting better every time. So every time I play with it, it's kind of more, more satisfaction that my kid is, is, is better now. (laughs) Um, the, in the beginning, there were a few moments of inspiration where I, I was, huh, that's awesome. Uh, I didn't expect that. Uh, but the more we develop, the more uh, I'm, I'm surprised and interested and, and really get into the groove and stop thinking about, w- will it screw up? What will it play? And just getting into the musical experience. Oh. It's not still, you know, there's still moments like, like me hoping that it will play and when it plays something wrong, kind of. Um, able, forgiving yeah. uh, uh, Shimon and and trying to figure out why he did what he did, but there are moments where I'm just in the music. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. How great! Then, um, so now your work has gone. A, I mean, it still involves robots, but now it's involving people too, directly with uh, prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Would you tell me a bit about this? So about five years ago. Uh, I got an email from a drummer who lost his arm in an accident and he asked, he probably googled music and robotics and found me because he wanted a robotic arm that will allow him to play again and he wanted to be able to hold the stick tight and loose uh, in order to have the expression that he used to have and I said sure I'm very interested Um, let's go and take this robot which are separate entity and put it in the body so we used myoelectric sensors that sense electric activity in the muscle Mm -hmm. and so whenever it flexes or relaxes we know that and it operates the arm and it can either change how tight he holds the stick or it can actually generate a hit Mm -hmm. Uh, it can toggle between states that are automating uh, and, and, and the arms that we built him has two sticks one that follows his instruction from his muscle, and the other one is with a mind of its own, that's how we call it. The, it improvises, it listens to the music, and it's kind of interesting experience for him. His name is Jason Barnes. To play with an arm, your own body surprises you with new ideas as you play. Some, sometimes he would just want to control, so he use only one stick, but when he uses both sticks, the other one is improvising. Mm-hmm. And each stick can play much faster than any human, and together they can create crazy polyrhythms. For example, one of the sticks plays 19 hertz, 19 hits per second. The other 20 hertz, and with every change, it can change the correlation and relationships. Now, not only he got back his uh, abilities to play more expressively, the abilities that he lost, but he actually has super abilities to play like no human can. Mm-hmm. What did you say about the heavy metal drummers that were looking at him? So, 
because it's so fast and interesting and, and uh, virtuosic, sometimes we have heavy metal drummers emailing us after they went to a show and pretty much say that they would lose the right hand just to get this kind of abilities. Uh, which I, th- I think it's funny. I don't think they were actually going to yeah, do that. Yeah. But if they would, we can do that. <laughs> and then, so can you tell me a bit about the design and system? So you use these um, electromyographic sensors to right. see when he wants to activate these muscles, and this gives him control over the drumstick. Right. Uh, what was it like? I, I assume that it was like an iterative process, getting him set with it, but then also giving it the features that he wants and adjusting different things. Can you tell me a bit about this? Sure. So, uh, in the beginning, it was pretty difficult for him to to accommodate it, especially the second stick. So, in the beginning, we just used one stick that allowed him to fully control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took some time because of some latencies, and, and uh, when suddenly you can play 20 hertz, you have to get adjusted. So, it was a little awkward in the beginning, but after few weeks he, he just yeah, it was like fish in the water he, he 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 enjoyed it and he was able to be much more expressive and was open to try the second stick uh, and now i think it's a second nature to him gotcha and can you tell me a bit about how he's using so one thing you mentioned in the talk or maybe the questions after was using the second stick a little bit, bit more after he's getting more familiar with it. Can you tell me a little right. bit about that? Yeah, we put an accelerometer on the, on the arm so he can choose. If you quickly lift his arm and the second stick pop out, if he wants to get rid of it, he, he put it down quickly and then he gets rid of it. And he, he's in full control to decide whether he's in control or not. Mm-hmm. And you're noticing that he uses the second stick more? Yes, yes. The, the more... The, in the beginning, it was just the first, and it was really strange and awkward for him to the second, but now he chooses to use more and more the second stick. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing you mentioned that was really exciting, uh, using an MRI sensor. Would you talk a little bit about that? It's yeah. actually an uh, ultrasound oh, sensor. an ultrasound. Right. Ah. So we're actually looking at the muscle, and we see the different direction in which the muscle uh, moves, which gives us much more information mm-hmm. uh, about what combination of muscle movements control what can what finger so in, instead of just being able to either hold the stick tight or loose or, or just hit on or stop hitting we now can figure out what he wants to do finger by finger because he used to have an arm so he has and he used to have fingers uh, so he has phantom fingers now uh, even though he doesn't have the fingers himself he can imagine moving the fingers and the muscle will operate as if the finger is still there Mm-hmm. And with deep learning uh, convolutional neural networks, looking at the muscle and training it uh, and figuring out what finger is correlated to what muscle movements, we now have prosthetic arm that allow Jason, who used to be an amputee drummer, to become an amputee pianist, even though he was not a pianist before. And with the, um, the new technology of the ultrasound that, that look at not only whether the electric activity, like the myosensor, but mm-hmm. also what direction the muscle moves and how much and what is the torque and so on, uh, we allow him to play piano, which is very exciting. Gotcha. So it's a lot more nuanced for control, and then you can My control a prosthetic too. hand. That's awesome. Uh, would you tell me a little bit about how your background in music has been a big part of all of this work? Yeah, I'm a musician first, and mostly. Uh, uh, music drove all of my decisions. I first was, you know, I, I played through college um, in bars and, and, and hotels, and then I, 
as an undergrad I did both uh, computer science and music and I would start to think maybe I should try to combine it and maybe I should write software that will help me understand how am I creative and how can I improvise so maybe I'll write software that would listen to my improvisation and with algorithms will respond to me and I will try to understand more how how people improvise and of course after I started to write software I said hey it's much more interesting to write software that doesn't imitate humans but create algorithms that humans don't use which was uh, pretty uh, interesting and inspiring but it still came from speakers and it didn't have the physics based gestures and what is the one thing that will allow me to take all these algorithms on one side and bring acoustic sound which is much richer and gestures and the answer was robots uh, and that's when I uh, arrived to Georgia Tech. I said, okay, a lot of the gesture-based instruments that I developed uh, in my grad school and a lot of the software that I wrote to listen and to improvise uh, as an undergrad should culminate in, into a robot, a physical robot that I can play with, a physical entity, embodied cognition, uh, which led to all of these developments. And then what advice do you have for anyone that has a passion that, like, basically they're trying to combine two fields that are kind of distant, that they enjoy both of? So if these fields happen to be music and technology, you should Google Georgia Tech Center for Music <laughs> Technology and apply if you're a student or, or just uh, email me if you want to collaborate. Uh, I'm very interested. But uh, the advice in more general, if it's... Uh, other fields as well, is that the interesting things happen at the intersection between fields. It's very difficult to innovate in physics. Uh, but if you bring physics and music, there are more interesting things, there are much more to discover. Uh, so interdisciplinar inter interdisciplinarity is is where the interesting things happen today in academia and also, I believe, in industry in, in the world. So. You're very lucky if there are multiple uh, disciplines that interest you because you are more likely to find interesting things that no one else uh, explored. And, you, you know, you can be the best at what you do because you're the only one that does it. Thank you. You're welcome. It was fun. And that's it for today. As always, check out robohub.org forward slash podcast to access all our past episodes and loads more robot and tech-related content. And you can always get in touch with us if you've got questions or suggestions by emailing our president, Audro, at audro.nash at robohub.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Music with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.